the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Ed Martin and the Pro-America Report. On The Answer, San Diego. Welcome back. Ed Martin here to Pro-America Report. Good to be with you tonight. It's great to be back. Uh, you know, it seems like time just flies past us. I, You know, I go to finish the show and then, bam, I'm back here, which is great because it's a lot to talk about. Fascinating day. Fascinating day yesterday into today. Um, you know, the... Um, You know, I've been thinking about what you need to know, you know, what the main focus of this first segment, because I love to sort of tee this up for you, and I'm going to get to it. But I I, I was uh, tweeting about this, and I put the phrase election protection, election protection. People say, well, I mean, someone someone, uh, texted me and said, oh, come on, man, you know, you got to talk about Twitter. And I said, I am. And he said, no, you got to talk about, uh, you know, Trump and, uh, and Scarborough. And I said, I will. It's all related. It's all related. I'll get to that in just a moment. And because it's uh, it's the same. It is the same with a message that was sent by what happened yesterday with the president's Twitter feed is very it's vitally important that you know what exactly they did. You know, it, it is extraordinary what Twitter did. The message they sent Really important. I'll get to that in a minute. Let me give you first. Let me give you an update on General Mike Flynn. I talked to General Flynn earlier today. He's in super spirits. Um, you know, he's always got great spirits. He told me from the time he was a young man. I don't. He didn't say a little boy. I think he was a wild boy as a child, a wild you know young man. But when he got in the military, I think he told me he got a habit of prayer. He just got a habit of prayer every day. And he said it's never changed, whether he went to war, whether he was home from war, whether he went to serve in the White House, whatever it was. And so he just sounds pretty even. I mean, I'm sure he gets mad and hot. I've been with him when he's been upset about something or other. But it's also kind of cool. It's a uh, sort of a cool burn with him. But I talked to him today, and he's very optimistic. He obviously has this great lawyer, Sidney Powell, and uh, you've heard her on the program and over on Andrea, uh, Andrea Kay's program. So it, um, he seemed very confident. What he did agree was by the read of the courts, the, the deadlines, his next Monday would be a deadline for the lower court uh, to handle this stupid um, uh, effort by the judge to uh, hire his own lawyer. So I'll back it up for one second for our listeners that are new. You know, the prosecutors, that's the Department of Justice, and the defendant, that's General Flynn, say, hey, we should dismiss this case. The judge says, I don't want to just let the case be dismissed because I've been at this for years and I don't know why you're finally just deciding that. I actually think that's a defensible starting point. So he could have a conversation with someone and say, what's the deal? That's not what he did. He appointed his own friend to become a special sort of, they call it amicus curiae, a special kind of, I don't know what to call it, prosecutor, but he's not a prosecutor, special arguer, special litigant who is going to come into court and argue about what should happen. It's just like bizarre out of left field. So that now the, the prosecutor, DOJ, the defendant, Flynn, went up to the court of appeals and said, um, tell this judge that he's not supposed to have a kangaroo court. He's not supposed to have a circus court. Let's move on. And that's what they're considering. That will come to a head next Monday. I guess the update I want to give you is watch for Monday. And Monday is going to be important. The other update is have you seen the emails between Rosenstein and he was doing back channel emails to the press and to Mueller and to other things. 
I mean, I guess we always knew when President Trump said, you know, uh, all these Democrats or they were all working together. It, they, we, I guess we always knew that. But to see the emails and realize that they were just sort of working, it was like it's it's the word I want to say, which is sort of graphic, but it is true, is incestuous. These people were incestuous. Mueller, Rosenstein, Comey, they just were in the swamp. And here's one thing I'm reminded of. I'm going to tell you this because I've always been struggled with this. One of the things in the John in John Ashcroft's memoir after he served for as attorney general under W. Bush, which I think is called Never Again. It might be called Never Again. I'll look it up while we're talking. But John Ashcroft, the the old uh, the Missouri uh, um, former uh, senator and all, um, he wrote Never Again. And, and this is my General Flynn update still. If you're checking everybody, I'm sorry it's taking so long. Yeah, it's called Never Again by John Ashcroft. One of the things about that memoir is that he mentions this scene where he's uh, up in the hospital because of um, some um, some either gallstones or some kind of uh, flare-up. And Comey is kind of the hero who fights off some of the bushies that want to do something or other, right? And I've always wondered why, how it could be that John Ashcroft, who is so immensely, I respect him so much, how Comey could end up being such a swamp creature. And the answer is, when John Ashcroft was done being attorney general, he went home. He went back to Missouri. He lives in Springfield, Missouri. He's got his kids there, his grandkids, his wife. He went home. Most of these people that come to the swamp and take a turn of service, they stay forever. And some of them don't get corrupted, but a lot of them do. A lot of them do. But anyway, all right, that's, that's enough. So, the, so it looks like um, the, the uh, Flynn thing is coming to a head. So that's great, good news, important news, and we'll keep you up to date on that. All right, let me get to what you need to know today. Election protection. Election protection. Yesterday, the President of the United States Twitter feed, one of his tweets, two of his tweets actually, was flagged by Twitter and said it needed to be fact-checked. It wasn't the tweet about Joe Scarborough being a possible murderer. It wasn't the tweet about hydroxychloroquine. It wasn't the tweet about the number of people attending a rally or the inauguration or whatever. None of those. Amazingly, and all the scrutiny in the last two days has been on the president's tweets about Joe Scarborough. Amazingly, the one that was put flagged for fact-checking was about mail-in voting. And they said that his facts were wrong, that he was wrong about mail-in voting. But all he said was that mail-in voting can lead to fraud, and a lot of people were worried about it. There's nobody that should be able to dispute that. That's an opinion. It's not a fact, but it's based on enough facts. He didn't say there's 722 incidents of voter fraud in Broward County. Then you could fact-check and say, no, there's only 720. But he didn't say that. He said mail-in ballots lead to fraud. That's a kind of opinion based on the reality that no one disputes that there is such a thing as fraud, mail-in fraud. Although I remember when I was, uh, I was chairman of the Board of Elections in St. Louis uh, in, in years ago, 10 years, 12 years ago, 14 years ago. And Robin Carnahan, the then Secretary of State Democrat, she used to say, there's never been an incident of voter fraud. And I'd be like, wait, here's 3,000 registration cards given in by ACORN that are totally invalid. What is that if it's not voter fraud? Oh, no, no, no. She meant that there wasn't people voting in, in the wrong place. I said, well, we, we did a test after the 2000 election, and there was, you know, people that voted on both sides of the river, Illinois and Missouri. Well, 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 that's not real. I mean, it's like a movable target. But if you say it enough, I guess people are supposed to believe it. So back to what you need to know. What you need to know is what the Democrats signaled and what Twitter signaled. It's true Twitter decided to take sides. So Trump, Donald, President Trump is right that now Twitter's decided to take sides. Now they're in the fray. Now they've got to be taken on in that sense. Until now, they've been saying we're not going to be the ones picking sides. But here's the problem, or here's the more important point for you to know. They picked their, um, they picked the fight 
over voter integrity, over election protection, over mail-in voting. Why? Because the number one priority for, for, for uh, Nancy Pelosi when she became speaker the first time and then the second time two years ago was elect- changing the election rules to try to game the system. Both times. When Bill Clinton was sworn in as president, you know, the first bill that he signed, it wasn't a Hillary care. It wasn't a pro-abortion bill. It was voter, a motor voter law that allowed it and forced you to register to vote when you got your driver's license because they wanted more young people in the system. They could control them and contact them and manage them. It wasn't about empowerment. It was about control. But my point here is the Democrats and the left know elections matter. And if you can game the system and rig the system and make the system uh, apply, you know, pliant in your direction, better for you. And Jack Dorsey and Twitter just decided to go along with it. That's what you need to know. The number one priority in the next 160 plus days, I think it's 164 days till election day, the number one priority ought to be in your mind and mine, if you care about the future of the republic, election protection, protecting the vote, because they are coming. They are coming to take away our right to vote, our elections. They're coming to offset the votes. They're coming to, to make yours not count. They're coming to make, they're also coming for this. And this is the twisted part. If the left can't win, if the left can't win, they, they, they try to destroy. They try to demean institutions. If they can't take over the institutions, they demean them. They gut them. They make them ugly and repugnant. So if they can't win, probably because Biden is such a fool and a bad candidate, they'll just destroy the confidence in the election system. It's, it's amazing. And I tweeted, by the way, earlier today, I, Donald Trump, he should file a complaint with the FEC against Twitter uh, for their campaign contribution unreported to, to Joe Biden and deciding to get involved in the campaign. By the, in a few minutes, we'll talk with Hans von Spakowski right here on the show. He was an FEC commissioner. I'll ask him about that. He'll probably uh, tease me, but uh, we'll find out what he thinks and a lot more. We got Brett Decker later. We've got uh, really excellent guest Nick Adams. He was tweeted by the president just recently. He's got a book on Trump and Churchill. We'll talk to him. Uh, all that and more. So that's what you need to know. Election protection. Keep it in your head. 160 plus days. We'll talk more about it. Let's take a quick break and be right back. Ed Martin, Pro America Report. Be right back. Ed Martin and the Pro America Report on the Answer San Diego. Welcome back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. I just was talking off the air with Nick Adams, our next guest, and Nick and I were, were, were reminiscing. We About a couple of years ago now, he was in St. Louis and uh, one of our events and spoke. But, uh, you know, I woke up this morning. I'm sure he did. I'll ask him about it. I woke up this morning. I was going through Twitter, checking things out, and, I, you know, President Trump is picking a fight with the Pulitzer Prizes. He's talking about the stock market. And then in the middle of it, congratulations to author Nick Adams on the Simon & Schuster publication of your new book, Trump and Churchill defenders of western civilization how cool is that nick that must have been a pretty cool thing to have happen huh it, it, it certainly was it's great to join you yeah look uh, you get wonderful moments in your life and last night was certainly one <laughs> of those i was very honored very humbled uh, very privileged to uh to receive the endorsement of the president for this new book trump and churchill defenders of western civilization uh, he did everything except uh, give the actual link so yeah. <laughs> I was pretty, pretty chuffed with that. Uh, Newt Gingrich wrote the foreword. Uh, the book's already a bestseller. And um, I'm very honored to be living the American dream. 
Well, it's really cool. And for those listeners that don't know Nick, and you probably do, but Nick was born and raised in Australia. You might hear that slight accent. Came here in 2016, and he's a writer, he's a columnist, he's a commentator, speaker. He himself, though, was was interesting. Uh, this is an interesting detail. You know, the late Phyllis Schlafly, my boss, used to say it was this kind of experience that transformed her, even just being a candidate. Not She didn't win for Congress, but you were at 21 years old. You were uh, elected uh, deputy mayor. In Sydney, which is extraordinary, which I, I, I guess I want to ask you about that first. Um, how come you didn't stay in, in, in politics? Did you did you get burned out? At it? I mean, you're, you, what happened? I bet it's pretty young to sort of look like a, maybe a rising star. Was it just not your thing? Ed, it's a really good question. Look, I was actually elected when I was 19 uh, to, as a councillor. Wow. Look, the first wow. election I ever voted in, I voted for myself. Uh, and then you're right. <laughs> uh, with, within a couple of years, just a few days after turning 21, I was elected the youngest deputy mayor, and I did have somewhat of a promising uh, political future ahead of me in Australia, but politics and the political system in Australia is very different. Uh, first of all, uh-huh. it's compulsory voting. So when right. you don't vote, you get fined $82. But from, wow. a, from, a, uh, from a potential politician point of view, the only country in the world that has primary elections is the United States. So huh. in Australia, in order to run for office, you need to have the support of a small group of men in the back room that decide huh. whether or not you're going to be compliant, whether you're going to go along to get along, whether you're going to cause a headache, whether you're going to talk out of turn. And I mm-hmm. didn't really like this idea of my destiny being in the hands of somebody else. And that's what I've always loved about America. You can really be the author of your destiny more so here than anywhere else. It's, uh, we're talking with Nick Adams, and let me make sure to say, uh, first of all, on Twitter, you can go to the President of the United States Twitter feed, and you can see where he retweets, at uh, Nick Adams in USA, which is pretty cool, a screenshot. And then his book is called Trump and Churchill, Nick Adams' book with Newt Gingrich as a forward. It, it's, uh, it's out just uh, 10 days, less than 10 days. Trump and Churchill, Defenders of Western Civilization. Anywhere you get books, you'll find them. All right, Nick, let me move forward now to America. You come here in 2016. Um, you're, you, you know, anybody, I, and I spent a couple times, couple stints in Australia, you know, weeks and months at a time, not, not longer, but the rest of the world does, they look at America, especially our politics, as you say, they're big. And by the way, let me one drop one footnote, Nick, I'll send you a copy. Phyllis Schlafly, if you didn't see it, she wrote a book called A Choice, Not an Echo about the kingmakers that were a lot like what you described, except in your system, you know, in Australia and Britain, you can't even get in the race except the kingmakers actually let you in. She described how the kingmakers were controlling the choke points, the so-called establishment, but but leave that aside. Um, you come to America in 16. I mean, it might be the most extraordinary election to be present uh, to. Walk us through your observations of Trump in 16, not even as president, as a candidate, as a communicator. You know, you're a writer, a columnist, a communicator yourself. Talk about his, uh, his talent. Look, Ed, uh, a phenomenal talent. I never thought I'd see anyone like Donald Trump in my lifetime. I waited all my life to, to get a Winston Churchill-type figure, and I think I found it in Donald Trump. I was actually on the Trump train from day one. So June 16, oh. 2015, when he rode down the escalator, uh, I was there. And uh, I've really you know, been the beneficiary of supporting the president from the get-go over the last four years. But I did it. And it was a tough decision at the time, Ed. I mean, now, I mean, it's it's so easy. He's unbelievable. He's amazing. He's fantastic. But at the time, I was personal friends with Governor Perry. 
I was personal. Well, I, uh, Dr. Ben Carson had endorsed my books. So had Mike Huckabee. Uh, I had a connection right. to at least five or six of the candidates. And so it was difficult. But I realized that in 2016, watching the president, uh, now, the now president, I realized that no politician, no matter how talented, no matter how articulate, no matter how well presented, was going to cut it. We needed a sledgehammer. Mm-hmm. We needed something totally <laughs> different. And I knew from reading The Art of the Deal when I was 14, I knew from just observing Trump over the years, he was a businessman and he was going to get things done. And as soon as I worked out that he, he loved the American people and he was just a massive patriot, always wanted America to win, I realized that he's the right guy for the job at the right time. Yeah, it's uh, that's that's funny you say that, Nick. Uh, you know, with your perspective, uh, my my old boss, the late Phyllis Schlafly, that was one of the things she she just loved America, and she saw in him this great love of America. That he loved he loved the people, he loved being for America. You hear him all the time saying about you know I'm going to put Americans before other countries, and not that he doesn't like other countries, he loves other countries, but it's uh, but it was that Americans uh, first. Uh, we're talking with Nick Adams. The book is called his book, new book is Trump and Churchill: Defenders of Western Civilization. All right, I got to get to that now. Trump and Churchill both led at extraordinary times, kind of pivot times, both widely, po- wildly popular with certain parts, widely disregarded and thought as, you know, you know, uh, disreputable by other parts and all. H- how do they match up in terms? What's the most unique uh, sort of common bond in what they're doing, what they did? Uh, Ed, there's so much there. It really is. You know, at first blush, you wouldn't think so. You know, you've got this five foot six guy that loved to have a drink. <laughs> you got a six foot four yeah. toddler, one napped in their pajamas every afternoon, they poss- and every opportunity <laughs> he could. The other barely sleeps. Uh, you know, so right. on the surface, there's not there's not that much in common. But as soon as you drill a bit deeper, almost everything is identical. First of all, if you ask for a list of adjectives of Winston Churchill, ninety five percent of those adjectives are going to apply to Donald Trump. Second of all, you've got guys that were intensely disliked, even hated, confident, loved their country, alpha males, clear thinkers, plain speakers, uh, both had an acrimonious relationship with the media, both endured battles with the political establishment, both followed monumentally weak leaders. Churchill, of course, had Neville Chamberlain. Donald Trump had Barack Obama. Uh, So, you know, the, the, the parallels between the times and the men... They refused to conceal their true self. They didn't conform to expectations. They didn't care, Ed, what anybody thought. You know, you were just talking moments ago about how Donald Trump put America first and Americans first. Well, a story that I share, not a very well-known story, at least not in the United States, is during the Second World War, the Australian Prime Minister rang up Churchill and, and of course, you know, the connection between Australia and England and said, look, I need right. your help for these Japanese. You know, come and help us. And uh, Churchill said, bugger off. I've got to look after England first. And that's, <laughs> that's, that's kind of the response, I think, that Donald Trump would give in a, in a similar situation. 
Uh, Nick Adams' book is Trump and Churchill, Defenders of Western Civilization. I want to go to that for one second, Nick. <clears throat> I mean, you're articulate, really well, well known for being articulate, sort of as a as an observer in the tradition of, uh, you know, like de, de Tocqueville and others that come and see what's happening in America. You describe it well. And, you know, your work uh, with FLAG, you know, organization that helps get uh, into the communities, into the classroom, more uh, resources and more, uh, you know, uh, uh, um, kind of development for the study constitution declaration all that stuff it's all but western civ okay churchill had a moment where he you know, the world hung in the balance how does trump how, how does that fit together and what where do you see that as the as the sort of touchstone of what they were doing I, and i'll point out by the way on in four or five days june 2nd there'll be the anniversary of uh, pope john paul ii's return to poland which, you know, Newt Gingrich, your friend, you know, hones in on as a, a pivotal moment for the, the, the fall of communism, right? There's, there are key moments in Western Civ. How's Trump fit into that in your mind? Look, Churchill's fight was on the outside, Ed, and Trump's fight is on the inside. The thing is that mm. America, the world's fortunes travel with the United States. So when America's strong, the world's strong. When America's weak, the world's a weak and dangerous place. So Western civilization is only going to be strong when it's captain, when it's head, uh, when it's foundation, which is the United States, is, is strong and robust and healthy and self-confident and assertive and all of that stuff. And under Donald Trump, that's what's happening. And you've got all of these globalists and you've got all of these people now within America that want to turn America into some kind of a European place. And it's and it, it's uh, that's what's weakening Western civilization. That's what's threatening our values. So Trump is really, in so many ways, by having to drain the swamp, by having to take on these globalists, by fighting for the everyday ordinary people, by fighting for the value system of America, he really is saving Western civilization. Yeah, it is. Uh, well, it's a great it was a great idea to, to take a look at these two. And you have a great perspective. Uh, Trump and Churchill, Defenders of Western Civilization. The book is uh, Simon and Schuster. Nick Adams is the author. If you need a recommendation, it's in Donald Trump's Twitter feed at Nick Adams in USA. Uh, full throated recommendation. So thanks very much, Nick. Uh, good luck with everything and keep in touch. It is always a pleasure. All right. Thanks. We'll take a quick break. Be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Be right back. Ed Martin and the Pro-America Report. On The Answer, San Diego. Welcome back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. You know, the man we can ask to figure these things out for us about what's happening, the president, uh, mail-in voting, and just a lot of attention is, of course, Hans von Spakovsky. Hans himself was on the FEC, uh, served there. He's an attorney. He's right now the uh, manager of the Election Law Reform Initiative, and he's a fellow, a senior legal fellow, a fellow at the Ed Meese Center for Legal and Judicial Studies over at Heritage Foundation. Welcome back, Hans. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me back. All right, so I don't get very many sort of pseudo-viral tweets, but this morning I tweeted the following. The president of, uh, at Real Donald Trump should file an FEC complaint against Twitter for their unreported campaign contribution to Joe Biden. Now, that is ridiculous, I know, but what's your thoughts on the impact of Twitter on elections? You know, in other words, if you're picking sides, it, it, you know, you're allowed to do it, but there are some rules on picking sides, right? Yeah, it's not a good idea for them to do that. In fact, um, they really ought to follow uh, what Facebook is doing. You know, Facebook announced uh, not too long ago that they were not going to 
uh, fact check or or in any way check the accuracy of claims made by uh, political candidates, which of course is right. the smart thing to do. You you don't want a big company like that inserting uh, they shouldn't be inserting themselves into the uh, political process. You know it. These big organizations like Twitter and others, I mean, they treat Americans uh, as if we are children, as if we can't make right. our own uh, decisions <laughs> on these these kind of issues. Yeah, well, that's a good point. And just to put a, fi- a fine point on, I'll finish it, is if if a company starts picking sides, you know, picking and choosing, you, ju- you run into trouble. And l- let's say that I own a company that owns all the billboards in a, in a small town. You know, we're in St. Louis where I was. I happen to know a guy who owns hundreds of billboards. If I start putting up signs that say, vote for Joe Sixpack for mayor, it may be legal, but it gets awfully, you're getting closer to, I mean, it may be legal if it's not coordinated, not, you know, connected at all, but it, right. it, it's just going to bring a lot of scrutiny. And especially for Twitter, it becomes pretty clear, pretty fast that we can't tell what they're doing, right? You just can't see what they're actually doing. So it would, it's leading, I think, to a whole bunch of trouble. Uh, but Hans, the real thing I want to have you on was to talk about, again, it's Hans von Spakovsky, who's over at the Heritage Foundation and an expert on elections as well as constitutional law, but mail-in voting. You know, uh, the pushback of the fact check by Twitter is President Trump said mail-in voting could be fraudulent, could be problematic. They said, oh, no, fact check. CNN says it's not, not, not a problem. Tell us about what you worry, <laughs> you worry about when you hear that California's got millions and millions of mail-in ballots. I mean, walk us through what the real tension here is. Well, look, it was uh, only about a, six months, a year ago, that Los Angeles County, which is the largest county in the state, something like five million registered voters, more than more than most states, they settled a lawsuit filed against them over the fact that they haven't been cleaning up their voter rolls. They haven't been maintaining their accuracy. And they agreed, you know, you're right. Uh, we agree to take one and a half million <laughs> registered voters off the rolls because it turns out actually they're dead. Or they've moved away, wow. and therefore they shouldn't be on the list anymore. But Los Angeles County is representative of, frankly, the entire state. So think about the trouble that could be caused by literally millions of ballots being mailed out to every single registered voter uh, in the state of California, including many, many, many registered voters who don't actually uh, any longer live at the registered address uh, where where they are. Um, you know, how many folks uh, in the political realm will be tempted to try to, for example, collect those ballots, going through neighborhoods to do it, uh, in order to make sure those ballots get voted? Yeah, you know, it's, uh, again, it's Hans von Spakowski and, uh, and uh, over at Heritage Foundation uh, wears a couple hats and uh, writes a lot at uh, Fox News and other places. And, and Hans, you know, my experience, I, you were on the FEC, I was at the chairman of the St. Louis Board of Elections, is you, got, you always have two problems. One is the, the actual reality of running the election and the integrity of the system. Right. But the other is the perception. The perception of what's happening, is it worth the trouble? You know, earlier on in the program, we had Nick Adams, who was originally from Australia, the author, and he was saying, uh, in Australia, it's compulsory 
compulsory voting, you get an $82 fine if you don't vote. Therefore, the, the whole system is very different. Here, we don't have that. We never will, I don't think. And But you have this problem of the perception. You know, Norm Coleman had, had a problem with harvested ballots in the back of somebody's car. You know, California had harvested ballots. Where's this going, though? Uh, you know, are we going to end up with states like California and New York having a kind of anything goes system and 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 then texas and missouri are going to have a more protective system what, what where are we headed do you think well no i think we are headed in that direction uh california and new york for example are both states that refuse to put in uh voter i voter id uh they mm-hmm. uh, california is moving to mail absentee ballots to all registered voters uh th- they're basically putting in rules that will make it easier to cheat and easier to manipulate the outcome of the election. And that is extremely dangerous, uh, and, and it increases the vulnerability of the, uh, of the election system. Is the what's the best if you had to say? And I just got a couple minutes left. You had to say. And by the way, one uh, back in 2012, uh, he, he, Hans was a co-author with uh, John Fund on called "Who's Counting: How Fraudsters and Bureaucrats Put Your Vote at Risk." It's still a good one to read, but that's an indication of how much expertise uh, Hans has. Hans, if you had to say, like, here's three things I do to protect the election in the fall. You know, for for the state of, or for the Commonwealth of Virginia or for the state of uh, Pennsylvania, that's a big state. What like what what could you you know again? Maybe you can't get a photo ID pass now. It's too late in the year. But what could you know kind of uh, people that want to protect their vote? What could they do? Uh, they should insist that their state, by talking to local officials and state legislators and others. Uh, have a regular election, yeah, have absentee ballots as an alternative, but the polling places should be open. Uh, Yeah, Mm -hmm. put in the safety protocols that people want, like they did in my town where I live, where I voted last week in person without any problems. We should not switch to an all-male election. Yeah. All right, Hans, unfortunately, I'm up against a hard break. Thank you for taking some time. Ever, anyone that uh, follow Hans von Spakovsky and, and his writings on elections, on uh, Constitution, on a lot of things. Appreciate it very much, Hans. Thank you for uh, taking the time. Sure thing. Anytime. All right, we'll take a quick break. When we come back, we got a lot more to cover. And don't forget, you can go to edmartinlive.com to sign up for the daily email that you get, edmartinlive.com, and also go to theanswersandiego.com to get the show as a podcast and uh, or iTunes or Google Play, wherever you get them. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Be right back. Ed Martin and the Pro-America Report. On The Answer San Diego. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Presenting a daily conservative pro-family perspective since 1983 and continuing the legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now here's the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. Idaho is leading the pack when it comes to protecting girls' sports. Governor Brad Little signed the nation's first bill, making it illegal for boys claiming to be girls to compete in girls' sports. This bill couldn't come at a better time. Media hype about transgendered young people is reaching an all-time high. Confused boys are suffering from gender dysphoria, which is the belief that your feelings do not align with your anatomical sex. Even if gender dysphoria is not increasingly common, at the very least it's being treated less and less. My deepest sympathies go out to the people who suffer from it. However, we cannot allow the mental illness of the minority to destroy the hard work and accomplishments of the millions of girls who play sports. They expect their hard work to be challenged on the field, court, mat, rink, or track, 
but they shouldn't have to face biological boys with all the biological advantages boys have in sports. This is a very real problem in our nation. Other states have already seen high school wrestling and track championships stolen by boys claiming to be girls. When LGBT activists are faced with the problem of girls being beat out by boys, their only line of reasoning is to say, well, that's too bad for the girls, but we shouldn't discriminate against transgenders by forcing them out of the game. That's nonsense. Absolutely no one is prevented from competing under the Idaho law. All it says is that you have to compete with the sex you were assigned at birth. If transgender kids want to compete in sports, no one is stopping them. Just like a non-transgender boy can't compete on the girls' teams, a boy who is transgender also can't compete on the girls' teams. They have to compete with the boys. This is complete and total equality. There is no difference in treatment whatsoever. Boys against boys and girls against girls. That's fair. When all is said and done, if we're going to protect the integrity of girls' sports nationwide, more states must pass laws like Idaho's Fairness in Women's Sports Act. Our girls, after all, need to be taught that if they work hard and practice hard, that victory is always within their reach. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. The traditional family is the building block of our communities and country. That's why it's imperative to support strong marriages, respect fathers, and champion stay-at-home moms. At phyllisschlafly.com, we oppose the liberal attempt to redefine the family. To join us, visit phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening, and join us again next time for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Ed Martin here to Pro-America Reports. Time to talk to Dr. Brett M. Decker. Dr. Decker, welcome back. Is the economy back, Dr. Decker? The market's up. Uh, is the economy back? Is there any reason to think that some of this talk, that it's going to come back really, really strong? Are you, can you give us that hope? Well, you know, there's some mixed messages coming out. Um, the New York Fed, Federal Reserve um, said we're getting close to bottom. So uh, that sounds bad, right? We're at rock bottom. But the thing about being the bottom is there's nowhere to go but up. So, you know, the New York Fed um, is, is, is very obviously attuned because of proximity to what, to what Wall Street thinks. Wall Street, as you noticed, is high. Um, but as we've talked about on your show before, um, because the stock market is high, that doesn't necessarily uh, reflect Main Street, right? Wall Street and Main Street mm-hmm. can be right. different. So um, Fitch Ratings, one of these ratings agencies that looks at the healthiest economy um, and then gives right. grades to different industries, um, they're, they're, they agree that we're at bottom but they said it's going to take longer than expected to rebuild. So their estimate now is just because so much damage has happened, so many companies um, have laid people off and aren't going to bring everyone back or anyone back if they're gone out of business. They said the rate, uh, the pace will take to build up the economy back to where it was before uh, coronavirus is mid to late 2022. So that's a pretty long road still. Huh. Yeah, I guess the thing is what 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 I what I I heard someone say which makes intuitive sense and I and I've been helping myself uh, by thinking about it like this is that this wasn't a recession where something was off. 
this was, a, you know, in other words, the, the mortgage uh, crisis was because there was artificial, you know, uh, pumping up of the value of things. And when it crashed, it crashed. And, you know, that wasn't and, and it wasn't 9-11 where, you know, you thought, oh, boy, maybe maybe it's more like 9-11 in a weird way. But it's it, it felt like, OK, we paused everything. We stopped the roller coaster ride. And now we're going to restart it. it may take a while to get going, but it it may work is uh, what's the story with China? I mean, you know, you I know you were talking with Dr. Brett M. Decker, a professor, New York Times bestselling author. Oh, hey, by the way, uh, Brett, at the end of the Mrs. America show today, the last series, it went to black at the end. And it described that Phyllis Schlafly published a New York Times bestselling book, The, the Conservative Case for Trump, which is you were the co- one of the co-authors. For, well, but so that's the very end. But uh, I forgot to tell you. Did that. we, did we get um, any what's the deal in with- love? Probably not. No, no, only Phyllis, only Phyllis. The, the, the listeners that need okay. to know is me and Brett Decker and Phyllis wrote this book together, and uh, she unfortunately passed away the day before it came out. But Brett and I lived to see uh, on the New York Times bestseller list. No, no, we didn't get mentioned. It was a, a you know, a snub of again. But uh, but back to China. Hollywood. Tell me about this. Where is China on the uh, uh, on the recovery? Are they are they just hiding what their problems are, or what, what's the story? Well, two things is. You know, there's there's some evidence leaking out uh, that they're that they're dealing with a big second wave or third wave. If we didn't know they had another one, because they're locking down big parts of their economy again. Um, but you know, they hide everything. So uh, there's a lot of talk during the 0809 uh, global financial collapse how it's a it's a myth that China wasn't affected by it. They just you know they just missed out on the whole thing. Well, the thing is, they they fudge their books so much, no one has any idea. Um, when they're in trouble, if, if a big global company uh, that's recognized, Chinese company, um, is going to collapse, they just secretly put government money in there. No one really knows about it. Right. So um, it's, it's really hard to, it's hard to know. Unlike here, where we have lots and lots of sophisticated um, techniques to, to reveal the health of the, company, uh, of the country, um, one, one indices that's particularly good um, the Chicago Fed has a national um, activity index, has four main mm-hmm. areas, and it dissects everything in detail where it's not just, okay, stock market high, it's unemployment <clears throat> low. It cuts them all down into uh, miniature categories, and, uh-huh. and it's really an interesting index to take a look at. Um, huh. It has every it has 85 different indices. Uh and yeah. then it, like down, so that's that's a negative. But oh. it's um huh. it's 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 pretty diverse in, in how it looks at the economy. Um, all right. Well, I, I don't want to get off the. I, I want to ask you about this because again, you, you were talking with Brett Decker, and uh, besides teaching uh, business now at, at Defiance College, he's it was a journalist with uh, Wall Street Journal in Asia, uh, living over in uh, Hong Kong, and then also uh, editorial page editor of the Washington Times, and has written all these books. So you have a perspective on uh, communication. What's going on with Twitter? And I guess what I want to ask you is you've observed it from your position in the last 25 years in public media. You're even on the USA Today uh, editorial board, advisory board, or whatever that term is. Um, uh, what is happening with Twitter? Is Twitter going to be like MySpace in another year or two, or is it going to be uh, replace um, Walter Cronkite? I mean, what, what's happening here? You know, I mean, they still have billions of regular, you know, something crazy of regular users so, or, or tweets every right. day. So. You know, it's damaging, and, and people on our side, and I, you know, I'm guilty of this too, need to realize they're not our friend, right? I mean, they're saying Trump is, President Trump is fake news, 
but not all these Hollywood leftists that make things up. And, you know, I, I used to get, uh, I've been banned for most of the last couple of years on Twitter. Um, but I used to get thousands of retweets on, on things I would tweet. Now, even if it's an article in USA Today or somewhere national, I'm lucky if I get 10, you know? So, hmm. uh, like once they, once they turn that tap off, they can really affect, uh, someone's reach as far as, uh, publicity. So, you know, I didn't do anything differently. It was the same amount of people, but they just, uh, you know, they, they limit, uh, once you're like in Twitter jail, they limit who can see you. So, um, imagine them applying what they did to me, uh, to Republicans in an election year across the board. It did right. That and, and Facebook censor censorship, uh, can have a real effect on our, on our election. So I think it's, I think it's a real threat to democracy. Well, and what I say is if you're describing something you observe for yourself, most people don't observe it that closely. So they just don't know what yeah. they're being, how they're being steered, you know. And so uh, but I, I guess one last thing, I got less than a minute. If they take on Trump, like what happens if I, I don't, he can't? I know. I know he can't. But what if he walked away from Twitter? What if, all you know, could 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 is it bigger than him? I mean, he he kind of is Twitter, isn't he? Well, I think the danger is the media limits honest discourse so people don't really know what trump's you know if you look at the news media and polling companies which are is, is biased as a media they really can affect what people think so trump president trump and candidate trump four years ago used twitter to reach people because he couldn't through the usual uh platforms well you take that ability for him to reach people and you can really lock down uh political yeah. communication in a dangerous yeah. way i think yeah, it is. All right, I got to run. That's uh, Dr. Brett M. Decker. Thanks, as always, Dr. Decker. And that's it for tonight. Thanks very much. Thank you to Noah, our technical director, Joanna, for helping book things. We'll be back tomorrow night. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Talk to you then. <laughs>